Well, let's pray. Uh, You've been given an outline uh, of the talk, and if you'd like to keep the Bible open as well, that would help. And we'll pray. Loving Father, we we pray that you would help us now um, to hear what you have to say to us, and please guide us into the truth, and open our minds uh, and our hearts to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a story that's been told in one form or another for perhaps almost 6,000 years or maybe more. And the modern form of the story goes like this. A man named Barry was doing his shopping at Winmalee Coles and he's standing in the breakfast cereal aisle when death comes around the corner. And death sees Barry and death drops his bundle of groceries, opens wide his mouth, points straight at Barry and starts heading towards him up the aisle. Barry runs for his life, knocks over a chip display, pushes his way through the checkout and sprints to the car park, drives home like a maniac. Uh, When he arrives home, he races past his wife in the hallway and he says, where are the passports? I've got to get out of here. I've just met death at the supermarket. He pointed at me and he started coming towards me, but I escaped. So he rummages through all their official documents and finds his passport. He drives to the airport, gets the first available flight out of Sydney, which happened to be to Kathmandu. In the meantime, Barry's wife has taken matters into her own hands. She she heads to Winmalee Coles to confront death. She finds him at the self-service checkout, weighing a cauliflower. And she says to him, what do you mean coming at my Barry like that? And Death says to her, well, I I wasn't actually coming at him like that yet. I was just so surprised to see him. I was going over to to ask him what he was doing in Winmalee because I have an appointment with him tomorrow morning in Kathmandu. As I said, uh, people have... uh, Not necessarily a joke, it's just a story, so (laughs) I'm not feeling threatened by your lack of response. But um, people have been telling versions of that story, as I said, uh, since ancient Mesopotamia, apparently, if you Google it, uh, because it contains some universal facts about death. And the big one in that story is that death, of course, is unavoidable. The main point of the story is that when your time has come, there is no avoiding death. You can run to Kathmandu and death will be waiting there for you. Now, of course, we don't know when that time is, so we do our best to avoid death. Um, We wear seatbelts when we drive our cars. We maybe watch what we eat so that our hearts are healthy. Uh, We're careful around electricity, etc. But we know that death will catch up with us in the end. You know that you're going to die one day, as do I. And we also know that despite our efforts, to a large degree, death is uncontrollable. So when your time has come, your time has come. There might be a sickness that you can't control. There might be an accident you can't avoid. Uh, It's uncontrollable. It's not in our hands necessarily. Um, We can probably all think of brushes with death that we've we've had. Um, I can remember a fishing trip with friends in my early 20s and I had this friend who took us fishing and often it involved sort of going down this cliff to a rock platform and fishing off the rocks. Uh, And we were walking back from one such trip. We'd climbed back up again and we were walking along this uh, cliff top at twilight and we were just chatting and were very relaxed. Put my foot on this tussock of grass near the cliff edge and it gave way and my foot kind of went down and just because there was a rock underneath this tussock of grass which couldn't be seen, my foot landed on that. Otherwise, I would have just gone straight over the side of the cliff. And nobody else noticed. They all just kept walking along and I just sort of sort of turned white and had that cold sweat and the realisation that I could have died right then and there. That moment, I could have just gone over that cliff and that would have been the end of my life. 
I was so close to dying just then. Um, And I can name other incidents as well, and you can probably think of some for yourself. It's just so random and so uncontrollable, really, when our time comes. We can't necessarily see it coming. We can't control it. And, of course, the greatest tragedy in death is that it's irreversible. Uh, There's no coming back. It is so final. When somebody dies, they're gone. It's, It's just the final parting, a final goodbye. And, of course, we feel that when people we love die. Uh, But when you think about your own death, the finality might be hard to come to terms with because everything you have known, everything you've enjoyed, everything in this life, everything you are in this world just ends at that point. Um, It's all gone. And then there's the question of what comes next, that is what's beyond death, which is unknown. I mean, we don't know what the experience of death is going to be like. And we don't know what things will look like on the other side. Um, If you imagine life as a path, then there is a wall in the middle of the path and a door in that wall. And we can't see what's over the wall. We can't see through that door, not even a glimpse of what's beyond there. And yet each of us has to go through that door at some point into the unknown. Now, what is beyond that door? The majority of humans seem to believe that there's some form of accountability Involved in what happens beyond that door. That is, our experience on the other side will somehow be determined by our performance on this side in this life. Uh, Some people expect God's judgment. Some people believe in karma. Either way, your moral performance in this life determines what is on the other side of that wall for you. And that could be concerning for you. I don't know how you feel about the life that you've lived. When I was in high school, they made us uh, study Shakespeare, um, and I'm, I'm kind of glad of that now. At least I can say I've got a, had a bit of culture put into me in year 11 and 12. And one of the plays we studied was Hamlet, which, uh, and who does a lot of thinking about death, the, uh, Hamlet. Um, he's the one who made the famous speech, to be or not to be, that is the question. And he thinks about how nice it would be to die, to sleep, to be no more, because his life is not very pleasant at the time that he's thinking about all this stuff. Uh, And then he thinks, but hang on, when I fall asleep, what dreams are going to come? Uh, What is actually going to happen? This should give us pause, he thinks. Um, uh, Why would we bother going on except for we don't know what's on the other side and maybe it'll be even worse than what we're experiencing here. He says... Uh, the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from whose born no traveller returns. It puzzles the will and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others we know not of. Uh, Thus conscience does make cowards of us all, he says. In other words, I'm dead scared of what's on the other side of death. Life right now is not very much fun, but what's on the other side, who knows? Um, People at funerals, of course, will say things like, well, they're in a better place. Uh, But how do they know? How how do you know what's on the other side for you? Especially given our sin, especially the way we've treated God himself. How how can you just assume about the other side? And so for all these reasons, death is a fearsome prospect. It is a huge thing that all of us face, and it's fearsome. It's unavoidable, it's uncontrollable, it's irreversible, it's unknown. But it is huge, and each of us is going to face it. So uh, what do we do with this issue? One of the biggest issues that each of us as human beings face, do we avoid the issue? Um, 
our society, of course, avoids the issue. People don't like to talk about it very much. Death is very sanitised. It's kind of locked away in those weird places, funeral homes, etc. We're not sure what goes on in there. Uh, there's a bit of a mysterious industry that you only un- encounter if it's a bit unfortunate or something. Uh, or is there a satisfactory solution? Is there a solid hope that is not just another hollow funeral day platitude? Um, and so I'm here to tell you tonight that Jesus can make a big difference to our attitude to death. And the teaching of the Bible is an incredibly profound base on which to build your life, uh, particularly when you think of your life from the perspective of the end of your life. And the first thing to say is that actually Jesus confirms our fears about death. But then secondly, he relieves those fears. So uh, firstly, people who don't have a solution tend to, t- tend to play down the problem. But the Bible doesn't really let us do that. It says that death is awful and it is a problem. It is a really big issue. First of all, it's claimed that death is natural in this world, but the biblical worldview is otherwise. Some say that death is just, you know, it's just a rearrangement of the atoms that are making you up at the moment and one day they'll kind of dissolve into all the rest of matter and it's just a biological process, it's perfectly natural. Plants die and they break down and animals die and they break down and people die and they break down. I was listening to the radio just on Friday night and they were talking about I can't remember the country, some European country, where they turn you into compost after you die and there's a little chamber you're put in where it takes six months to break you down into soil and then your loved ones can have a cup of coffee next to you while you're breaking down and it's all very unsatisfactory, isn't it, really? Um, But people sort of make this point, it's all very natural and it's okay, we're just returning to the earth. But the Bible attaches a, a greater significance to human beings than that. The Bible tells us that each of us was made by a deliberate act of God and God has a plan for each of our lives and sees you as well as me as very significant. And the human race as a whole has been given a special part in God's creation. Um, If you see the Bible reading there in Hebrews 2 and just look a little bit above there in verses 6 and 7, you'll see it quoting Psalm 8. uh, And it's talking about humankind And it says, you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour and put everything under their feet. That's the human race. In other words, humans were put here to rule God's creation on God's behalf. We are supposed to be these glorious creatures with the dignity of not only being the number one creatures in God's creation, but also the dignity of knowing God and being his servants And in a way, being friends with God, that's what we as human beings were made for. That's a very dignified position to be given, glory and honour and everything under our feet. But now, of course, you look at the human race and the human condition and it's not like everything's under our feet. It's not like we have glory and honour because death stands between where we are and where we're supposed to be in God's purpose. And death makes a mockery of everything that we try to build in our lives. It ends all the relationships that you form. Death puts an end to that. Uh, It limits all the achievements that you can manage. So you might make a little mark in the world, but then it'll just be covered up by all these other marks that other people have made. And so instead of the glory and honour for which God made us as human beings, we just survive and maybe struggle for a time and then we die and then we're forgotten within a generation or two. And God designed people for more, but death spoils it. It's not natural, 
It's not the way it was meant to be. And so secondly, death is not a neutral thing either. Um, People might think that just because death happens to everyone, it's normal and therefore it's neutral, neither good or bad. But the Bible tells us that the death is a very bad thing because of its connection with sin. Both individually and collectively, we all die because we all tend to live in rebellion against God and we read in the very beginning of the Bible that God could not allow rebels to live forever in his universe. Uh, In Romans 5 it says, Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. So sin leads to death. Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. And this is why it says in Hebrews chapter 2, as we read in verse 14, that the devil holds the power of death because he tempted us to sin and now that we have, he can hold death over us. So just as the devil is our enemy, death is an enemy as well. It's not a neutral thing, it's a bad thing. Um, Even in the latest Avengers movie, here I'm talking about it again two weeks in a row, uh, the big baddie's name is Thanos. And the name Thanos is based on the Greek word for death, Thanatos. Thanos, death. See, even Hollywood knows that death is a bad thing. The big baddie in the Avengers is called death. Or he brings a lot of death. I won't give anything more away, but we already know that. Um, Death's a bad thing. It's not a neutral thing. And we know that in our experience. It's not natural. It's not neutral. And the other thing that people say about death is that it's just nothingness, uh, which again is not true. I mentioned before that a lot of people, probably most people I would say, believe in some form of accountability, but the view is increasing, particularly maybe amongst your friends and family, that death is just nothingness. You die and then it's nothing. Um, The Bible says that's not true. In Hebrews 9 it says people are destined to die once and after that face judgment. And so in some sense we go on. Uh, And this involves uh, a certain view about human beings, that is, We're not just bodies um, which shut down at death and then our consciousness consciousness just disappears. No, the Bible says we also have souls and our souls go on after death. And so on the other side of that door, there is another journey to keep travelling for us, but very different to this one. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can can destroy both soul and body in hell. And so, death is not nothingness. The soul keeps going to face judgment on the other side. And so, what this means is that Jesus basically confirms our fears about death. It spoils God's purposes for us. We weren't supposed to be subject to anything, including death. It's an evil force in our lives and in this world. It's an instrument of torment which we handed to the devil who's now sort of beating us with it. Uh, And it's the doorway into a fearful reality on the other side, that is, we meet our maker for judgment on the other side of death. And all of that is true according to the Bible. But Jesus not only confirms our fears, he then relieves them. Uh, The Bible doesn't just describe a problem and then leave us without a solution. It offers a solution And that solution is a person. And I'll just draw out four points about Jesus from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 to 16, which show us how Jesus deals with our deaths. 
Firstly, he took on our humanity. Um, if humanity failed to fulfill its function, that is glory and honour, everything at our feet, under our feet, uh, and if we now find ourselves without that glory and honour and without everything under our feet, but rather we are under the foot of death, Jesus had to become one of us if he, were going, if he was going to redeem humanity, if he was going to fulfil that function for us. And so in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. That is, he had to come as one of us in order to be our champion and to fight our battle for us, to bear our sin, to defeat death for us, to claim the glory and honour that God designed all of us for. Jesus had to become one of us fully, 100% human, in order to take on that mission of being human perfectly for us. There's a hymn that says, O loving wisdom of our God, when all was sin and shame, a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. And that's Jesus. He came as one of us, a second Adam. So that's the first thing he took on our humanity. The second thing, by his death, he broke the devil's power. If Jesus had no sin, then the devil had no power over him. And if Jesus died for the sins of others, then the devil has no power over those for whom he died either. The devil's main power is to use our own sin and death against us. That's where the devil com devil's power comes from. Uh, the devil torments the sinner with the power of death. So it's like death is the club that the devil likes to beat us with. But when Jesus died, uh, the one who had no sin, when the devil hit Jesus with his club of death, the club broke. Uh, death was broken. That is the power of the death of the one sinless, righteous person. It broke death. Uh, earlier in Hebrews chapter 2, it says it in different terms. It says he tasted death for everyone. How would you be to be able to say, um, Jesus ha has already tasted my death for me? It's a, it's a good thing to be able to say. And so thirdly, by his death, Jesus freed us from slavery in fear of death. And so the Christian no longer takes their sin with them through that door of death. They now face God's judgment as forgiven sinners. We're not taking our sin through that door. And that means they no longer need to fear death in any way like they did before they became Christians. The club has been broken on Jesus. Um, all the snake's venom was used up when it bit Jesus. And so there's no venom left for us in death. Yes, uh, Christians still face physical death and that of course is scary uh, and there's still grief there of course because there's a parting there's a goodbye but because they know that Jesus died for them a Christian can say it is well for my, with my soul even on their deathbed and the fourth thing we're told about how Jesus deals with our deaths here is he takes hold of us he promises to be with his people through everything even through death Hebrews 2.16, it says, For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. And the kind of helping that is implied there in that verse is that Jesus takes hold of those who put their trust in him and he holds onto them and he doesn't let them go. Like God leading Israel in the Old Testament, he led them through the Red Sea into salvation. He led them through their trials in the wilderness into the promised land. Jesus 
takes hold of us and leads us uh, into the glory and honour for which we were made uh, and eternal life. And so what this means is that a Christian never dies alone. Jesus has taken hold of them. Jesus is helping them through into blessing. He became one of us. He suffered as our substitute. He fought for us as our champion. He paid for our sin. He beat the devil. He broke death for us. And now he holds on to us all the way through. And you might remember that line from the famous Psalm 23, uh, which says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, says the psalmist. And God is with his people in Christ, even through death and then on the other side of death. Jesus is with his people. And so my question for you tonight really is this, has he taken hold of you? Uh, now, God doesn't force himself on anyone if a person wants to go it alone, um, despite the solid claim that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. If, if a person wants to go it alone, if a person wants to roll the dice that maybe there's no God and maybe there's no judgment, um, or maybe they've been good enough to deal with whatever is on the other side with ha- without having to worry about God now, if that's their decision, God will leave them alone and they will face death alone and unforgiven. But Jesus has said, anyone who comes to me, I will never drive away. So it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. If you come to him, he will not drive away. He will take hold of you and this promise will become yours. And so the way to prepare for our deaths, according to the Bible, is to come to God trusting in Jesus for your forgiveness and asking for mercy and grace that Jesus would take hold of you and hold on to you even through the valley of the shadow of death. He will hold on to you now and he will not let go. It is a fearsome thing that we face. Um, I've been watching a documentary on the Civil War on Netflix uh, and it recently arrived at the worst battle of the war which everyone knew would be a terrible carnage Uh, and the night before the battle the Union soldiers were writing their names and the names and addresses of their loved ones on little bits of paper and then pinning them to the back of their coats so that when they ran into battle and got blown up or shot or whatever was going to happen to them, at least someone would be able to know who to write to 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 inform them that they they were dead. They were so certain that they just put the little tag on their back so that they could march off to their death and think, well, at least someone will tell my loved ones. And after the battle, there was a blood-spattered journal found amongst all the carnage and the man had already written the, the, the entry in his journal for that day. It just read, today I died. Um, so certain were they of death uh, in this battle. Isn't it incredible um, that people face certain death and still kind of marched into battle like this? Um, not everyone would do that. Uh, at least one in ten in the Civil War deserted apparently. Because um, it's, a, it's a very fearsome thing, isn't it, to think, Tomorrow I'm going to die. I mean, how would you feel if you knew that tomorrow you were going to die? Um, Probably better to be here than watching that Lego show on TV. But the thing is, of course, that we all face death. All of us face death. It it probably won't be tomorrow uh, for you and me. But we can't be sure of the timing and we're all walking towards that door which we have to go through. And the only way to go through it with any sort of credible hope is to base our hope on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, Only the one who became one of us, who lived the life that we could never live, 
who tasted death for us and rose again, only he is qualified to give us hope in the face of death. Um, Now, it's been suggested to me that when somebody asks me what I do for a living, instead of saying, oh, I'm a pastor of a church or I'm a minister or whatever I usually say, maybe I could say to them, I prepare people for death. Um, I haven't tried it yet. Uh, You probably see why. But in a sense, that's, that's what I'm trying to do here with, with you. Uh, that's what I do every, try to do every week in a sense. But particularly tonight, that's what I'm trying to do here. I want you to be ready. Um, I want you to be asking yourself, am I ready to die? And I want you to think ahead and, and think, what do I need to do in order to be ready? And there might be a few things that you would like to sort out in your life before that time comes, and you should sort them out. But the number one thing is that you must take hold of Jesus Christ, the one who became one of us, who died for us, who rose from the dead. Uh, You can't face death with any other sort of certain hope like that. Uh, And so let me pray that God helps us and inclines us towards Jesus and trusting in him. Loving Heavenly Father, we ask that... uh, Well, we thank you that you give us a solid hope in the face of the enormity of death which each of us faces. We thank you, Lord, that we know when we look at Jesus that you have it sorted out for us because you've dealt with our sin, you've drawn the sting out of death. And so while we still face a physical death, we can hope in him that he will hold on to us and he has done everything to see us through to the other side and eternal life. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to think seriously and realistically about our life in uh, the face of the fact that we will die. And we pray that you would make us ready and hold on to us, we ask, as we reach out to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.